Well, welcome to the Infrastructure Podcast. My name is Anthony Oliver. Today, we're going to talk about the challenge of designing infrastructure for people. Now, in particular, we're going to focus today on the architectural challenge of the Crossrail project, uh, the multi-billion pound scheme, which after decades of planning and construction has given London the new Elizabeth Line. Uh, everyone will be familiar with the criticisms of the project and the fact that it was delivered several years late and considerably over budget when it opened in May last year. And a lot of lessons will, of course, be learned. But crucially, anyone that's travelled on the new Elizabeth line will also appreciate and in many cases eulogise about the step change that the new service provides in terms of scale, comfort and sheer user delight. Now, behind this success is a clear architectural vision for the public need. It's my pleasure, therefore, to welcome Harbinder Birdie to the Infrastructure Podcast today, who, as a partner at architectural practice Hawkins Brown, was the architect that, over many years and for many masters, drove and clung to that vision for Crossrail. Harbinder, welcome to the Infrastructure Podcast. Thank you very much, Anthony. Well, Habinda, let's start by finding out a bit more about the Crossroads story and your role in it, um, the birth of London's Elizabeth Line. Um, so why has Crossrail been such a success as a public transport facility? I think it's good. it is essentially a great piece of design and it's been well integrated into the city. And I think Londoners in particular that have been so that are used to the underground network have seen this as a real change in terms of mobility in London. And so you know, the numbers of people that are using Crossrail has has really surprised everybody in TfL and MTR. It wasn't expected. I think typically when we designed Crossrail, it was for 400,000 people a day. It was going to take 10% of the people that jump on the tube. At its peak, I think it took 600,000. Now, why is that? And it must be because it's a great metro system to use and Londoners have actually sort of embraced that. Well, a builder's conversation about being about getting good design into infrastructure. But when you were at Hawkins Brown, you were the architect behind the vast Tottenham Court Road station and the Liverpool Street station. I mean, how does an architect champion that infrastructure uh, design cause? I think I think the role of the architect in infrastructure is very much to have an oversight. I think our training is how do you design the built environment with people in mind? And I think what architects are very good at doing within the infrastructure sector are bringing together all the various specialist disciplines and all the various stakeholders to have a, a vision of how people are going to use essentially what is effectively a machine. And pieces of infrastructure are machine are bits of machines within the wider city. And I think what we do, we're able to maybe bring together components of that building or the piece of infrastructure to tell a story about the city. And I think that's where Crossroad in particular has been a real success. I mean, clearly you've used the system um, and you've lived and breathed the project for decades. I mean, has that has that response surprised even you? It has. I mean, I, I, I live um, on the Elizabeth Line. I live in West Ealing. And I remember pre-Crossrail, there was a Heathrow Connect, which I think was a four-car train, and the eight o'clock train in the morning, it was like sardines. You'd get on and you'd rush to get on, and, and it was it was it was it was crammed because of like the Heathrow commute commuters as well as the people living in the borough. Now we have an eight narcai train. Crossrail comes along. It's still really really busy. So it's really interesting how for I you know I worked it out that when I was I, I'll get I'll get back three weeks a year simply in commute because of the connectivity between Ealing and the central London. 
And what typically is happening now more and more, especially in the east and the west on the lines, is that people are moving to hubs around Crossrail stations so that they can get to anywhere in London that they want. And that's the way that Crossrail has transformed the way people travel. It's 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 enabled them to have a much more secure, uh, a much more reliable and a much more uh, capable transport scheme. Yes, I, th- I think there has been, you know, I mean, it's a new system and I think it's fair to say that there have been a few little glitches. But actually on balance, I think the reason why people are using it is that they would rather walk and cycle further to a crossrail station and jump on it because they will get into the centre really quickly. And then rather interchanging, what they'll rather do is walk through London to their destination so there's less variables. And I think the planners didn't quite anticipate that. And I'm a real advocate of walking. Everybody's been talking about the 50-minute um, you know, city. And actually you can sort of see now around the main central stations – that people are actually using those as like radial walking hubs, which I think is, which no one really anticipated. Right. Well, quite often the stations are so big that it's, it's quite often quicker to, quicker to get out of the station and walk to certain areas anyway. But um, exactly. I mean, focus on outcomes is, of course, you know, getting those outcomes right is, is really where you should be starting with any design. But, you know, as an architect, I mean, you know, what exactly did you do on the project? What did you bring to it? Um, to the team to make sure that they did focus on those outcomes. Well, I think I think we had a we had a very clear brief from Julie Robinson, who I think really needs to be sort of applauded for his role as the chief architect on the Crossrail, and he gave us a very explicit brief, which was actually the station environment, which was designed by Grimshaw. All the planet, the platform environments will be identical. So when you arrive at a station, you see the white um, cladding of the of the stations, and you know that you're on the Elizabeth Line. However, the station entrances they're going to reflect the character of um, the area of London. And London is always sort of, you know, um, is renowned as being like a patchwork of villages with so much character because you know it's a Roman city; it's very historic. And what we had to do as architects was integrate those station designs into um, parts of London. And this is Soho, St Giles, the City of London, Whitechapel, etc. And I think that's where we had different architects um, overseeing the design of the integration of these complex stations into historic parts of London. And actually, we had to, you know, we had to sort of mobilise teams. We had to engage with lots of stakeholders. And typically, on each station, there would be at the design stage, there would be like seventy or eighty engineers that we'd have to interface with. So actually, you were sort of part designer, part diplomat, part negotiator, <laughs> you know, uh, part therapist, you know. Um, but in a way, what you had to do was, you know, I couldn't make the kickoff meeting for Tottenham Road Station because my my wife was in labour, my son was being born, and now yeah. he's 13 and a half. So that's how long it takes. And so essentially, you had to sort of be there um, for over a decade to see this through. But the lifespan of the station is 120 years. Yeah, well, which I suppose yeah, goes to the challenges when, you, when you're trying to persuade the client to invest in design for the station. You know, quite often that's, that's as you say, it's, it's, it's 10... Uh, that outcome is 10 or 13 years ahead. I mean, how do you make that case? Because, you know, at the start of any project, you know, a project like Crossroad is, is trying to work out how to build tunnels, how to build you know, bits of concrete. Well, I think this is... I, 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 when we were around the table, what was really interesting was that you had a big engineering directive where it was all about the tunneling and the civils and about making sure that you can actually build these huge tunnels and excavate huge swathes of London safely and to keep London going. I mean, that was a key thing. You know, there's 4 million people 
on the tube coming into the network every single day pre-COVID. And the engineers were very much making sure that London is going to be open for business and it's not going to stop. The architecture was was actually looking at a legacy which was further than that, which was which was how will these stations, how will this project shape London going forward? You know, when Bazaljet first designed the sewers for Tideway, he, the population of London was a million, but he designed it for two million. London now is eight and a half in, and it's anticipated to be eleven million. And how will this new metro line shape the economy of London? shape the way people move through London. Right. I, mean, I, I do remember you also telling me about some of the challenges as you were, as you were getting into it. I mean, what, you know, the, and the compromises you had to live with. I remember you once telling me about the, uh, the challenge of making it all grey and covered in fire-resistant panels. I mean, you know, why, why is you know, colour, texture, uh, that kind of thing, why is it so important in terms of infrastructure design and public delight? I think as a Londoner, um, People that use the London Underground Network, you know, we invented the very first underground system over 150 years ago. And there's always been a uh, an emphasis on the design of the stations. I mean, you know, in the Victorian era, the reason why they had different tiles um, on the platforms is because lots of the people that were in the trades were illiterate. You know, they couldn't read. So actually they knew where to meet their power simply because of the sort of tile patterns on the platforms. And actually, if you look at these stations now, they're not like... London Underground, they're like two, platforms are 250 metres long. Yeah, they're easy to get lost in. Yeah, And so, you know, especially at Tottenham Court Road, what we did was that we actually used colour and art to define um, um, areas of the station to help you navigate this labyrinth that exists with with underground. And I think that's really sort of key, especially to visitors coming to London. And London does have a lot of them. How do they? I think, you know, if you're at one of the Crossroads stations and you take the wrong turn, it will, it's a 10-minute detail <laughs> yes. right. so there's a lot of people walking on Oxford Street go well where how do I get to you know St Giles and so I think colour and art is a great aid you know you could at Tottenham Court Road you could tell your friend how to get out of the station simply by following colour and looking at artwork right yeah which is a phenomenal tool yeah well let's talk about you for a moment uh Harbinder. I mean you're an architect you know you've got the polonet jumpers you've got the cotton jackets and the flowery shirts I mean what attracts you <laughs> I, I paraphrase uh, what attracts you to the grubby oh, world of largely unseen infrastructure rather than the glory of high profile buildings I think deep down deep down there is something quite humbling to be able to design something for everybody for people of the city you know maybe it's deep down there's a socialist in me but there is something that if you're going to sort of sweat and toil over something, then um, wouldn't it be great to design something that everybody can use? So it's, you know, you're designing something that is completely inclusive. And actually what is really interesting and what's nice about infrastructure in this country, a lot of it's paid for by the public purse, is it has to be robust. So that means you have really good high specs and you're able to design something well, because essentially we're designing a piece of infrastructure that needs to operate, function, and requires the least amount of maintenance. Right. And the role of the architect is for, for it to bring delight and joy, right? Mm. And for people to actually um, remember which bit of their city they're in because of the infrastructure that they used. Yeah. And of course, you did that on the Tideway, the Thames Tideway project where you were involved in the public realm there. Again, it's not necessarily to do with the infrastructure, but it's about making it fit in 
the lives of the people through which it passes. Exactly. And Thames Highway Tunnel, you know, I was the principal architect that took the the um, the DCO, the development consent order um, from Tideway and developed the central section. And it is a real honour to design a piece of public realm that is an extension to Basildon Sewer. And it'll be in the River Tunnel. And what was interesting is that so many people even now don't realise what this project is. These are piazzas in the Thames. These are pieces of public realm that are free to fall located in the River Thames. People still don't know that that's happening. Yeah, and of course, if you go down the embankment on the Thames, you know, that was the result of the Basil Jet sewer experience. So that whole bit of public realm, it's kind of, it's, it's the, the modern day version of that. And of, and of course, fast forward though, you're now reviewing the designs on the HS2 project. Um, I mean, how's that getting on? It's fine. I mean, I think it's fair to say that what everybody really wants is for the government just to press the button and keep it going. I mean, it's fair to say that the longer you leave infrastructure, the chances are the more it's going to cost. And I've been on the HS2 design review panel. There's 40 independent panel review members. And I'm one of the four architects that review the de- review designs. And I've reviewed um, several of the depots, the structures, as well as Houston Station. And... Um, it's interesting because I think with engineers, engineers have a cat three check. So you'll design something, then an independent engineer will go through the counts to make sure that it works. Architects don't have that. Right. And I think what's really interesting is that with HS2, what they've said is that this is of this design is of such importance that we want an independent panel to review the designs as they as they evolve. And it's been a fantastic experience because it's very sort of collaborative. Um and it's it's really um, being sort of um, open with the wider team in terms of how we collectively can make these projects better. And, it, and, that, and that makes sure the client is focused on design from day one. Yes. I'm not here. You're also, you've been recently asked to take on the design champion role at the ICE, the Institution of Civil Engineers, a home of, of, um, uh, of, of, of civil engineering. I mean, what's that all about? What's your role there? Well, it's a it's a it's a new legislation that's been mandated by the National Infrastructure Commission. So this has been sponsored by the government. And what they've said is that every major project, design is so important, every major project in the UK has to have a design champion at a, at a senior level to be instrumental in the outcome of the project. And that person um, will typically be sitting at board level. And that came into force in September 21. What I've been asked to do is write the job description for that individual, which will involve interviewing 30 of the directors of the major organization of projects in the country. To hear from them, a bit like this podcast really, how do they see the value of design? How how can it be implemented in major projects? And I think that's an, a, an excellent initiative um, I, I'm a fellow of the RIB, but I'm also a fellow of the ICE, but I'm a chartered architect. And I think one of the things that I'm very keen on doing is to motivate engineers to be able to have that dialogue regarding good design outcomes and creativity in major projects. Which goes back to the the, the premise of this podcast, which is creating infrastructure, uh, which is designed for people. I mean, why for engineers is that so often missed? I I would say, why is it missed? I mean, I, didn't, I wasn't trained as an engineer, but it'd be really interesting to take the curriculum of all the teaching that is taught at universities and engineering schools and to see how many modules were there in there on art, architecture, 
psychology, anthropology. Because engineers have, my father is a bridge designer, um, a civil engineer, um, and now he's a local politician. So he went from designing structures to now just engaging with people all the time, because that's his passion. Right. And actually, engineers have that passion for people. But I do think that that connection between the the bit of the city that they're designing and how it how it serves and engages and inspires people, I think is a really important one. And that's where I think the architect is trained to think in that way. But I would advocate for more engineers to be able to take on that matter. Do you think also there's a feeling that good design costs more or takes longer? I would say, I would say, if anything, it would um, over the lifestyle of a project, it would cost you less. I mean, look at the iPhone. You know, for seven, eight hundred pound, you've got the world at your fingertips in a in a phone. You use it heavily. So it's a phenomenal investment. I mean, it'd be interesting now that Crossroad is taking so many more people over its lifespan of 120 years. Is it worth 19 billion? It's probably a bargain. It's an absolute bargain. Why? Because it was designed so well. So it's right. look at the return. It'd be phenomenal. So I think I think good design, to invest in good design, makes the project cheaper because more people use it. High utilisation. And what, and what you're saying is that the teaching of design, particularly in the engineering field, is, is perhaps overlooked or underinvested. Uh, is that something which you think that the role at the IC might you know, take a stand in trying to turn that around? I think it should. And I, I know that um, the IC at the moment has um, um, many groups within the ICE that are looking at um, innovation, CPD, outreach. I'm mean, I had a couple of weeks ago, I sat down with the um, the IC president's future leaders. There's seven of them. Um, and I had a two hour conversation where I talked about everything from like art, architecture um, and engineering. And it was phenomenal. But they were truly sort of inspired. I mean, these are these are like, you know, fantastic, young, talented engineers that are going to go out there and, and, and shape the world. And you know, they're going to be sort of like the next Andy Mitchells. But they it was interesting because what they were really interested in was empathy. How do you. How do you understand the user? That's what they really, really craved. So I think we have a generation coming through. Whether we like it or not, we'll we'll do it anyway. But but of course, yeah. But of course, the, the the generation coming through is also very very familiar with digital technology, and that you know, as a design tool is now ubiquitous in the design and delivery of infrastructure. But does that make good design more or less likely? I'm. I'm not that I'm a cynic, and I've got to be really careful what I say here because the world is always talking about digital twin. I mean, my you know my son next door you know is is spends far too much time on Minecraft. He's already creating these digital worlds, and he says to me, "Dad, the Minecraft world is better than the Minecraft park is better than the real park. Why should I go out?" And it's, it's an interesting point, <laughs> but the reality is that, but the reality is, that, and maybe me sort of neglecting my son as a father, but. What's interesting is that people live in the real world. They don't live in the digital world. And actually, um, someone still has to make the digital twin. And I would say you use the you use um, um, the digital as a tool. But what you've really got to do is spend a lot of time thinking about what does society, what do people, what do communities, what do travellers really actually need? I don't think right. that's defined by the digital thing. I think that's a tool to help you deliver it. And that, that's why good design matters. You know, the implications of it are that it enables people to live 
better, fuller lives. Yes. And there's this, you know, everybody's talking about social value. I think at the moment, st- people are still trying to figure out what are the benefits of social or how do you calculate? How do you evaluate it? You know, it's so the question is like, why do we listen to music? Why do we look at art? Why do we even make art? You know, that in itself is, and how do you quantify that? Should you quantify it at all? And I think it's fair to say that with engineers, you know, it's a profession that likes to quantify things because it's very numerical. But actually, there's a there's a whole there's a, a whole part of 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 being human which is unquantifiable, and I think it's and I think it's for engineers to appreciate that in terms of what they're designing. And I think that's when it gets really quite interesting intellectually. Okay, well, just to finish off with, yeah, we we've been talking about um, designing uh, infrastructure for people, um, and going into the you know the the this idea of 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 um, you know, what will the future be all about? I mean, what's your advice? to young infrastructure professionals who are keen to embrace good design and keen to persuade their clients and their bosses that investment is a good idea. Uh, how do they do that? I think it will come from the bottom up. And if you look at most organisations at the moment, they are very, very keen. So many, It's fair to say that so many people that do civil engineering are moving over to the tech industry. And that's because they're very, very good at maths. And actually, there's lots of money to be made there. However, it's fair to say that the rewards of designing something for your city or somebody else's city and see people use it is is phenomenal. It's amazing. It gives you an amazing buzz. And I and I think the younger generation now, what they really want to do is design things with that have purpose, that have meaning, where they are transforming people's lives across the world. And I think um engineers have a phenomenal opportunities if you look at sort of like the carbon zero agenda etc people migrating to major cities densification increases the population there are so many opportunities where young engineers are able to shape the lives of 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 people for the better i think i think we're we're in a golden era Great. Well, I, I think that's a, a great place to finish it. And, and I hope that you are successful in your, uh, your, your your endeavours to try to get that design really embedded into the future of infrastructure. Habinda, thanks so much for joining me today on the Infrastructure Podcast. Thank you, Anthony. Well, great. As I say, that's all we've got time for today. And I hope you enjoyed that quick romp through the, uh, the, the issues around design. Um, but we've got more Uh, in the pipeline from the Infrastructure Podcast and far more guests to talk to as we continue to probe the big issues faced across the sector. And if you haven't done so already, do check out the new Infrastructure Podcast website. That's www.infrastructure-podcast.com where you'll find background information and all the latest podcasts to listen to and to share. So thanks for joining us and thanks again to Harbinder today. I look forward to seeing you again very soon. (laughs) 